Good morning. Um, welcome to this workshop. I'm Jan, a compulsive overeater, and your moderator for this session. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will now read our anonymity statement and the sixth tradition. Anonymity statement. To those of you who might be here representing the print or television media, please help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. We ask that in your reporting on OA that you use only first names or pseudonyms indicated as such of OA members and that you obscure the faces of those who identify themselves as OA members. Sixth tradition. An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facilities or outside enterprise, lest, monies of, uh, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. The format for this session is to have three speakers share for 20 minutes their experience, strength, and hope on the topic followed by open pitches. This is a one and one quarter hour meeting. Our topic is God and spirituality, finding a God of your own understanding. I will now read from the selected reading. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. My friend suggested what seemed like a novel idea. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Alcoholics Anonymous, 4th edition, page 12. Our first speaker is Dora L. from Fullerton. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dory, and I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. Hi, Dory. Hi, and a little nervous. Um, if you know me, you know that this is one of my favorite, ultimate favorite topics. I love the idea of spirituality. But then again, I think if we were talking about the promises, the steps, or the traditions, I'd be saying this is my favorite topic. <laughs> I think for me, the part about being grateful is that the God of my understanding is a current word. It has nothing to do with the God that I understood or used to understand. It also has, doesn't have anything to do with the God that I will understand. It has to do with today. The God that I understand today, the God that is guiding me today, and that also includes everything that I've done in the steps, everything that I've done with my program, and that God that surrounds me today. I love this. I would think that the God of my understanding has been in my life since I was around four. I consider myself very lucky on that account. I've never had to search for that God except for to when I stepped away. That God um, at four, I would say, saved me from a household that was rather rigid, rather tempestuous. I was the eldest of six, and at 18 months old, it is told that I began to help take care of my brothers and sisters. All of us close together, within eight years, my mom had six kids. So the God that I envisioned at four 
was a God of love, one that was different from the parents who were so fragile and so had such a difficult time raising us. By the time I was 16, I was in the throes of my disease, eating compulsively, hiding my food, stealing my food. Um, the God of my understanding at that time was kind of following me around, the type of God that would say, please don't do that, don't, you know, bless my heart. <laughs> the type of God that looked a lot like my own father. The God of my understanding today is so different from that. I was reading in the big book today, and the thing that struck me is that, I think it was Dave, who one of, our, one of the founders, had talked about bringing that phrase specifically into the set, the God of our understanding. When I first came into program, one of the things that struck me in the meetings was how many different ideas that people came up with. The first one that I heard in one of my first meetings was a young lady shared that her God of her understanding was the refrigerator light. That every time she opened up that refrigerator, and I never asked if she was asking at the time, that light reminded her that she was thought of by that higher power. Someone else shared that, that because he was not brought up in a religious home and had no idea about his God, had to go and find books, child books on God, to begin his, his journey for spirituality. For me, that journey, because I had been brought up in a pseudo-religious home, began with the Christian idea of a God. Today it has evolved. Evol let, me, let me tell you where that started, really, the, the evolution of the God that I know today. On December 30th, 2001, I woke from a dream. This is, again, my God talks to me in different ways and means through other people, through dreams, through experiences, through things I read, through just standing in the sun. That's how my God communicates with me. On December 30th, when I woke up, I remember specifically as if it were yesterday, it was 9.30 in the morning, and the dream was so astounding to me that I, I remember moving my eyelids, and that was it. I, didn't want to, I did not want to forget. I had nothing to write on so, except my brain. What I saw was, now I am a relapsed survivor. I spent 12 years compulsively eating after spending five years in recovery. So, and they say, once you're in program, go out and eat. It spoiled the eating. It did for me. <laughs> Not enough for me to come back. I was too embarrassed and too much in ego to come back at that time. But on December 30th, I woke up, and the dream that I had had, I was at a step study, an OA step study. Now, I had vowed never to come back. Even though I knew it worked, I vowed never to come back because of that ego. In the dream, in the meeting, I was a newcomer again. The meeting was divided into two. Everybody was arguing. There was a great deal of upheaval, which of course I'd never seen in a way. But in this dream, that's what happened. The leader was desperately trying to bring everyone together. Desperately trying to calm everyone down. She was a wonderful leader, but everybody was going their separate ways. What they were arguing about is unimportant, I don't remember. Me being in the middle, of course, being the center of attention. I raised my voice and asked everyone to please stop. And what I said to them was, there is an answer. The answer is here. And in one hand was the AA Big Book. The other hand was um, the AA, I'm sorry, the AA 12 and 12. It has to be right. It was my right hand, so it has to be right this dream. The AA 12 and 12, the other side was the AA Big Book. And I said, all your answers are here. And I said, for those of you who would like to recover, follow me. And I walked out of the room. That's when I woke up. 
One of the sayings in this program is don't give up before the miracle. I did give up before the miracle when I left in 1990. The, AA, the OA 12 and 12 came out not too long after that, and I believe that too, one of the great miracles for, for we OAers. So in the dream, I walked out, went into the hallway, and that's when I woke up. By the time I went over this dream more than once so that I would remember it, by the time I got out of bed, it was approximately 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Many months before, I had entertained the idea of coming back to OA. I did have a therapist at the time that would every now and again mention my coming back to OA, and I would quickly move on to another, another subject. But I did keep a communique on the side of my refrigerator. I went to that communique, and sure enough, there was a meeting on that Sunday morning, five minutes from my house. I didn't say anything, except, okay, God, I see that. Okay, gotcha, yeah, whatever. Went in, had my breakfast, which consisted of four eggs, six pieces of toast, a large glass of milk, five cups of coffee, and geez, if I had potatoes on, on hand, I would have made up potatoes. I don't recall if I did or not. He used to say that took about 20 minutes. Went on the internet to see if there were any other meetings that day, and my husband noticed that I was on the internet and asked me what I was doing. And I told him, I love this guy. I said, I'm looking for an OA meeting. And he leaned forward and he said, an OA meeting? You're going back? And I said, I'm dying, which I was at that time. I am dying and I need to do something. At 220 pounds, my heart was in trouble. My, I was this close to diabetes. Actually, it was more like this close to diabetes. It runs in my family. And at 43 years old, I was not living. Basically, all I did was eat. And with young children, well, they're not... They're fairly young, but they're very, very active. I couldn't keep up. There was no life in between the eating. There was no between the eating. <laughs> Needless to say, there was no between the eating. It was pretty constant. I had one meal. Got up in the morning, went to bed at night. It was a straight meal. Um, when I told my husband I was going to a meeting and I had found one, by the time I remember, guys, it was 10, 18 in the morning. I said, but it starts in 12 minutes. My husband leaned forward and he said, if I remember correctly, the only meeting you're late to, because I had told him that I was concerned about coming into the meeting late, you know, people might look, um, and they might notice, yeah. Um, the only meeting that you're late to is the one you don't make. Today, my husband does not remember saying that. Does not remember saying that. And I had never heard that poem. How many years I've been, and for five years I've been practicing OA, I had never heard that. So I ran in as quickly as my body could run, and took a shower, went five minutes from my home to go to this meeting, went to the wrong meeting, an NA meeting, which made me later, sneaked out of that, went into the next room, and I kept praying, just let me sneak inside the door, there'd be at least, what, 30, 40 people like there were when I used to be in OA, and I would be able to just sneak in and listen and see if I really wanted to come home. There were four people in that meeting. The leader of the meeting went, Dory, I couldn't hide. I could not hide. Not only were there only four people, and with my size, you couldn't hide me. But somebody I had known 15 years earlier was the leader of that meeting. I cried for the next three weeks. From that time on, my God, it was almost as if my higher power did nothing but say, oh my gosh, he's back. You've got a venue now that he, I had a venue. I had given him a venue to speak to me at all times. I was frightened to come back. When I practiced the program the first five years, I had a God, the same God I'd grown up with that I shared with you about at four, kind of following me around saying, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. That God kind of took a back seat. 
The one that I created was the one that my sponsor said, I got to create. I was allowed to create. What that meant for me was this. I put everything aside that I ever knew, except the things that had worked for me. And then I made up a list of the things that I wanted for me only. I needed a God that was there at all times. I don't care if it's 2.33 in the morning. I don't care if it's 4.50 in the evening. I don't care if I am not choosing to be willing. I still needed that God with me. I needed a God. I needed a God that loved me no matter what. I needed a God who laughed. My God had an incredible sense of humor. And if we had another hour, I'd tell you how the time he played jokes on me. Um, I needed a God who could rock me. If you see me doing this in meetings, guys, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. I needed a God that was gentle. In this program, this is the only place I've been, been to many weight loss, diet, and calories clubs, many gyms, many trainers. Not once did I ever feel comforted. I felt pushed. I felt prodded. I paid a lot of money. But not once did I feel comforted. This is where I came to be comforted. And I learned it from you guys. The first place I learned how to be loved and how to allow my higher power to love me was when people would hold me and not let go. I couldn't do that before. That was a little too close. My God was seen through your eyes. That God, and again, how I started, the God of my understanding is a current thing for me. Not the God I used to understand, not the God I will understand, but the God of my understanding today. And that continues to grow and change. And I think more than anything is the love angle because I was so diseased when it came to love. My perception of love was diseased because of the way my parents brought up, bless their hearts, and their parents. This program taught me what real love was. Sometimes real love is very, very silent. My God, and now and again, is very silent so that I can learn and fall and trip and realize that he's still there when I come back. The various signs that I get from my higher power Again, it's the comfort. I see them all around me because, again, in coming to this program and being guided through my abstinence, being guided through my meetings and doing service, having the cleanliness in my body for my God to speak to me, it's constant. He was always there. I just couldn't hear. I had the wrong ears on. The God of my understanding today, (laughs) I clear aisles in Costco sometimes. I'll be walking down the aisle. You guys, I talk to him out loud. It's been really nice sometimes because I just go out and go the other way. No lie. Clearing aisles in Costco. Works for me. Works for me. Um, my first sponsor when I came back to this program from Relapse, I had prayed very hard that God would send me someone who, because I knew not working the steps was not for me. Just before I went through them one time, I thought that's all you had to do. I didn't have a sponsor for years. I sponsored people without a sponsor. Don't sponsor people without a sponsor, please. This time around, I knew that I could not do half measures. It was impossible for me to recover with with half measures. So I knew I needed someone who had a God that was active. I knew I needed someone who had a God who spoke to them the way my God spoke to me. Um, I knew I needed someone who lived the steps, not just worked the steps, somebody who lived the steps. I needed someone who was in awe of the promises and in awe of the traditions the way I am. One lady kept coming into my vision. This is how willing I was. And I kept saying, no, not her. No, not her. 
And everybody that God did put in front of me to show me that it was going to be her said no, said no, said no. People were filled up. See, people began to take care of themselves somewhere when I left. We stopped taking care of ourselves in the, in the 80s. We took on anybody and everybody, and I became overwhelmed at that time. That's not how it is today. So this sponsor, I finally listened to my higher power, who kept bringing her into my vision, and asked her to be my sponsor, and she said yes. This sponsor, and I'll share this with you because this is how she began to incorporate my understanding of my higher power into a more living part of my life. She has a watch with a timer on it, and she would set that timer for five minutes. As she drove from, we live in Orange County, to L.A., she would hit that timer every five minutes. If the only thing she said in that five minutes was, thank you, God, 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 over and over again, and that's all she did. When that timer went off, it brought her back to center. She'd hit it again. And maybe she'd say the third step prayer over and over again. She would do this. Now, it takes no traffic, maybe 30, 35 minutes from Orange County. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to L.A. County, for those of you who are from here. It's rare that it takes 35 minutes from Orange County to L.A. County. Needless to say, she'd do this every day. On her lunch hour, whenever she got, whenever she felt she had a break, she'd hit that timer. She's very well disciplined in meetings. She'd do it in meetings as well. Do it at home. When we talk on the phone, she hit that timer. Discipline. Thank you. Bottom line was is that I began to incorporate that. I didn't have a watch with a timer, but I would find myself throughout my day having touch with that higher power of my understanding. The more touch I had with that higher power, the greater my understanding. This last year was a very difficult one for me. After a year of abstinence and being back in program, um, I'm not sure that I really listen very closely. I do a lot of writing, but um, I'm not sure that I listen very, and discerning my higher power, what my higher power is trying to tell me. It's a real difficult task at times. It's getting better, it's getting easier. Um, a year and a half ago, I started a full-time job. I'm a stay-at-home mom, that's what I do best, but I started a full-time job, thought that's what God wanted me to do. Redecorating my house, my father got ill all at one time, within two weeks. At the same time, needless to say, eight months later, my father passed away, lived through the death of my father and the, the illness of my father. Eight months later, my son, within a few months, I don't want to close this up, a few months, my son went through two surgeries, lost his sports, he was a wonderful athlete, lost a great deal of what that, those athletics would have brought to him before it would have sent me not only to the food, but I would have felt that my higher power had left me because look at all the horrible things that had happened to me. That's not how I see this. The way I look at it, the way that I, the God of my understanding is, if he really answered my ad for a higher power, he's loving, he's there all the time, he's supportive, and he cares about everything I do, he's not going to test me. I don't test my children to see if they love me. I just don't. I'm not that kind of parent. So why would my greater power test me to see if I really like him? or if I'm really, really there for him. That's not how my higher power works. Life sends me these trials and tribulations because that's what life does. I separate life from my higher power. That's how it works for me. The higher power of my understanding helps me get through life's trials. If I thought he punished me, I'm sorry. It just doesn't work for me. So I separate the two, and it's gotten me through the death of my father, my son's two surgeries, Things that my daughters go through. And uh, another time I'll tell you about the wonderful things this program has done for my 
family with my heart heart help. How are we doing? We got it. To close. To close. <laughs> and don't be afraid if you see me popping my cup. It's just my hair power. Come, come and join us. Um, he likes threesomes, foursomes, groups. Um, I think the best thing that I can share with you again is that word that I'm really, really touched on that word understanding. My understanding. It's constant. It, it, it changes. It changes. We get to change in this program. If that's, thank you. If that's what's best for us. I get to listen to other people's renditions of how their higher powers help them in their programs. My higher powers in each and every step. Each and every step. When I live the steps, I get to revisit my higher power, not just in the 11th, not just in the 3rd, maybe the 2nd. It's in every single step. And coming back to this program and admitting my powerlessness, where else was I going to go except to a higher power? Die, higher power, living the steps. That, for me, is what's worked. Thank you. Thank you, Dory. Our next speaker is Tina H. from Sacramento. And I ask you to please speak into the microphone. Hi, I'm Tina, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And welcome. Thank you for coming this morning. Um, I'm going to start out with a reading. Now at the point where I'm buying these Costco reading glasses to read. It's the first time in public I've done this. I wouldn't even do it. Vanity. Um, on August 5th, it says, I myself believe that the evidence for God lies primarily in interpersonal experiences. William James. And it just goes on to talk about that. That has been my experience. Um, you know, I grew up in chaos as most of us have and of course my chaos was more unique something I'll think back but it was pretty insane and so you know in my early teens when I got some inkling that there was something out there um, I went to it I glommed onto it um, because it provided comfort it provided structure it provided me with an ability to make sense of a world that made absolutely no sense and through the chaos, went in and out of it, and at 18, got very committed to it, and um, for 10 years of my life was self-righteous, dogmatic, and very difficult to be around. <laughs> I looked back and I went. And um, then I went through a divorce, and those things that made so much sense to me stopped making sense, and I went on a spiritual journey. Um, during that divorce, I got exposed to OA. I had already been exposed to some other types of recovery. And um, I started exploring all sorts of spiritual ideas. Um, you name it, I pursued it, I read it. Some of it I even uh, went through some of their courses. I did everything I could to find answers. And then I heard said one time that um, God is like the ocean. And man is going to the ocean with his bucket and pulling out the ocean and saying, but mine's better because my bucket is red, or mine's better, my bucket is gold, my bucket is bigger, my bucket is different. But the truth for me is that it's in everything. There is that common thread of a benevolent presence in everything I have ever read or studied. 
Today, I have to tell you that I don't have a concrete idea of what my higher power is. In fact, I went on a long uh, period of time of praying and asking my higher power to show me what it is, give me some concrete idea, give me a picture in my mind. And the more I prayed, the less I got, the more vague it became. And yet, the more connected I became. There was a deeper level of faith in me, a deeper level of knowing. And that level of knowing opened up my intuitive side, helped me to know, not always know God's will, but since God's will, let me just say that, because um, we never know for certain, right? Um, to sense God's will, to stay open to possibilities and to let go. About two months ago, and I, I thought I would share this story because it's recent and profound to me, and it takes small things to teach me. We have in our home um, a fountain in the backyard, and we have this fabulous little hummingbird that comes every single morning to that fountain. And my husband and I sit and drink our coffee and watch the hummingbird. Sometimes I'll sit out by the fountain, and that hummingbird comes right up to me like this. It's just amazing. I think, oh, God, it's got to poke my eyes out of it. Um, I love this hummingbird. I'm so connected to this hummingbird because it's just a treat. I watch it just wash itself in the fountain and splash water everywhere. And one day my husband came running in and he said, the hummingbird's caught in the garage. The hummingbird's caught in the garage. And we were panicked. And we went out there. And we have 10-foot ceilings in our garage. Um, we open every garage door. Now, we have a double garage and two single garage doors plus an outdoor we had every door open, and that hummingbird was banging into the ceiling and would not come down, and ran in and got umbrellas, and we were trying to coax it down, and my heart, it was getting just beat to death, running into the railings of the garage door, garage door and my husband was saying, honey, I think it's going to kill itself, it's going to get killed, and he was just, he's such an animal lover to begin with, he was just beside himself. I was saying, calm down, let's just coax it out. And the more we tried to help it, the worse it got. It just kept banging into the ceiling. It was determined to get out through the ceiling. We realized we needed to get out of the way because we were distressing it more. So we went in, got out of the way. It took hours. That bird would not stop banging in the ceiling. We had every door open. Finally, that bird became so beat up and so exhausted, it came down. And then coming down, the saw an open door in the light, and it went out. And I walked in, and I sat down with my husband and said, that's probably one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. He's British, and he says, really? <laughs> well, that's delightful. You want to explain it to me? <laughs> and I explained to him, and I know I don't have to explain to you. You all get it. I can tell by looking at your faces. Oh, Yeah. I explained to him how many years of my life I was banging against the garage ceiling, thinking that's the way out, that's the way out, and how beat up and how bruised and how close to death I came over and over again because I was determined, determined to do it my way. And it wasn't until I was willing to let go and surrender and just have some faith that there was something beyond me that could bring me out the door. That was when. And I honestly, it wasn't something where I just went, oh, I think I'll land. I was beat to a pulp. And I finally had no choice. And then I came down and saw the light. I relaxed. I let go. And there was the door open. It had been open all the time. And he got it. 
had no words to say because what do you say to that? But he got it. And I got it. And that is a profound experience for me. Just a couple of weeks ago, I have a sister who is very seriously into drugs and alcohol. In fact, so bad that she, um, in a fit of rage 12 years ago, lit herself on fire with gasoline and burned 60% of her body, third degree burns. And I was the only adult willing to be involved because she had burned every bridge, as most drug addicts and alcoholics do, and nobody wanted anything to do with her. And I went through the whole hospitalization with her and the agreement that if she comes home, she'll go into rehab as soon as her burns heal up. And of course, as soon as she could even hold a glass to drink, she was picking up the phone and calling her drug friends and had to send her on her way. So for 25 years of my adult life, I have been trying to rescue my sister from her disease and to no avail. And so it had been to the point where over the last six, seven years, I hear from her about once a year. I tell her, I love her. It's the same mantra. I love you. I would love to have you in my life. I feel the drugs and alcohol have robbed me of a relationship with my sister. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. But if you're willing to get help. I'm willing to help you. And of course, no, of course not. She wasn't ready. I got a call out of the blue two weeks ago, and she said, hey, is that offer for help is still available? And I said, sure. What's going on? And she says, well, I don't want no city facility and no state facility and no Whitney Houston, Bobby Brown, paparazzi type situation. <laughs> I want a wonderful place up in the mountains for a year. And I said, well, hell, so do I. <laughs> you don't want recovery. You want a vacation. <laughs> Move over. And uh, she got mad and hung up on me. And I just so happened to be involved in a transaction with a gentleman with a single parent of three kids who's uh, in the fellowship. And... Uh, we were closing up that transaction. I never really talked to him, and he happened to call me. And I happened to mention my sister, and he says, I recovered in a house in the mountains. I said, yeah, but I don't know. She just wants to get away from her situation. And he says, the recovery rate is the same, whether you're getting there because you're done or because you're trying to escape your environment. It doesn't matter. Get her in there. He called back five minutes later with the number of a facility, a six-bed facility says they never have openings. I called them. They happened to have an opening because someone didn't show up the night before. Conference called with my sister. My sister said, fine. The next morning, she was checked in. On the way there, I told her the hummingbird story, and she sobbed. And she said that a month prior, she was at a burn function, and they had had to make candles and put pictures in the candles of what they hope for in the future. This is not a spiritual person, by the way. And then they would have a ceremony burning the candle saying what they hope for. And um, I own a couple of businesses here, so I get featured in the magazine a lot. She happened to see a picture of me in a magazine and cut that out and put it in her candle and it said, my only hope for the future is my sister. And she's sobbing, telling me this. I was stunned. That had only been a short period before all this started happening. And I said, I guess at some point you're going to have to come to a belief that there's something much greater than you out there at work because this is not a coincidence. We were both sobbing. 
She's still in that facility. I talked to them a few days ago. She had a difficult first few days coming down, and now she's dialed in. And when I talked to her, she was the most lucid I had heard her in 25 years. Well, it's sick. doesn't matter. I have no attachment to the outcome. But the whole point of all of this is it's not even about me. It's not about my sister. I think it is my higher power's way of helping me to have one experience after another to sense this in my life, this benevolent presence that is in control, that I no longer have to bang up against the ceiling of the garage, that there is an open door if I just relax and let go. Now, there's another side to that coin. Because I have such a vague concept of my God, even though it feels very powerful to me, I don't have any symbols. Man is a creature that loves symbols. And, you know, it would be easy if I could look at a cross or a Jewish star or any type of religious symbol and have that represent my God. I don't have that. And I'm not saying I never will, but for today, what I have doesn't have a symbol to it. But I have an experience of that God. I have an experience of that presence. I hate to even use the word God because it's so rife with controversy. (laughs) I just, I have a benevolent presence. Um, There are many people that think it's the universal mind, it's nature, it's, you know, my husband loves to say it's the electrical currents in the air. Okay. I just don't have anything. But what I do have is a commitment. I wake up every morning and I pray to this benevolent presence. Some people believe it's your higher self. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. All you have to have is an experience. An experience on a regular basis that it's working in your life. And that's all I have to have is that experience on a regular I cannot go on what someone tells me, on what I read. I need to experience it. In return, because I have experienced in so many, so many profound ways, the few stories I've told you are just one of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories, because I had that experience, it asked something of me in return in my mind. Because you would not have a love in your life that you gave nothing back to. And what my benevolent presence asks of me is a commitment to being all that I was created to be. And so I have the commitment that it's a daily walk. I cannot tell you for someone of my personality type, daily walk, discipline, orderliness doesn't come to me. You know, I'm a big picture person, a big idea person. I can go out and get things started. But if you want me to do the everydayness of it, no thanks. But that is my commitment. My spiritual journey is a daily commitment. It doesn't mean that I just get on my knees because that would be easy. Okay, I spent my 30 seconds on my knees. <laughs> I'm done. I have to. And, and, and there's different ways, but for me, the 12 steps is my path. It's the way I do it. It gives me a concrete way of doing it. So I have to write every day. I have to call my sponsor regularly. I have to read my literature every day. I go to meetings regularly. I call people, I sponsor people, I am sponsored, I do all the tools, not just some of them, and that's my commitment, my gratitude, my way of showing that I have experienced that, that I do know it. 
And in doing that, of course, because I believe that's what my higher power asks of me in return, I grow, I change. Now, I need to say something, because when I was asked to speak on this, I knew immediately what I was in for, and I was, I emailed the person back and went, I hate you, (laughs) how could you? Because I know the minute you're asked to speak on something, guess what you get to experience? (laughs) every challenge in the book and of course I was probably over the last few weeks the least spiritual person you ever met (laughs) every trait in me that I worked so hard to surrender and overcome came out and I thought I wanted to call and say I need to disqualify myself I can't spirituality I am a raving B-I-P-H B-I-P-H and I can't even imagine how my husband has stayed with me. I have a number of people that work for me. I can't imagine why. I've just been, Um, But I knew what was going on. I knew. I knew that, you know, the opposite of spirituality is ego. And I, I have one. Boy, do I. And so the opposite of ego is humility. And, and I want to clarify that that's not humiliation. There's a difference. Humility is, there's true humility, which knows that you're brought into this world with certain gifts, certain uh, traits that will be of benefit. It's also knowing and owning the fact that you're imperfect. You're going to make mistakes pretty regularly. You're going to go, why this over and over again? You know, this week I was intolerant, judgmental, self-centered, it was just, and you know what that told me? For me, that just reminds me that my spirituality, my experiences are not based on my perfection, my goodness, my behavior. That even in the midst of all that, knowing I'm going, that I can still experience this incredible experience of this higher power, this benevolent presence in my life, that it just doesn't require me to be perfect. What a relief, because I can't be. I can promise you that. Um, my husband said to me the other day, I can't stand it when you're this, 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 and this. And I said, get used to it, because I don't want to be that way, but I can guarantee you there will be times in this life that I will show up as this, this, and this, and this. And guess what? You show up as this, this, and this, and this. And my job in life is to learn to accept and love you regardless, and I'm going to ask the same of you. And he was like, God. Not gonna change. Except for the way she is. Thank you. So, um, to try to wrap this up, careful. Um, I would say this. As I work in this program, I have to be honest. I have less answers than I've ever had. In um, 20 years of some form of recovery, of journey, of lifelong learning, I know less than I've ever known. I, I like who I am better, but not so much because I'm a better person, but because I've learned to accept and love myself better. And in return, I learned to love and accept others better, especially uh, when I'm not having to speak on spirituality. And then in that place of reception, I'm also able to experience my higher power to a greater degree. And then I become more and more willing to do the things that help me become the person I want to be in this world so that I can have a happy, fulfilling, rich life. 
and I cannot have it when I am fearful, when I am angry, when I am feeling lack, which is what greed and envy and all of those things are, fear that you don't have enough. I can't experience it then. But in working this spiritual program, I am freed of those things that keep me banging against the ceiling of the garage. And the door is open, and I get to fly towards the light. And that's what I encourage you to realize. This isn't a performance-based program. It's an experience-based program. And open your hearts to that experience. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. Um, our third speaker is Tom M. from San Jose. I am Tom, gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. Hi, Tom. Good to see you today. Please join me in the serenity prayer. I'd like to hear. I didn't hear it the first time. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I want to say that I volunteered to speak, but I didn't volunteer to speak on God and spirituality. That was picked for me. I would probably consider myself uh, not an expert in this area. Maybe that's why I needed to speak on it, so I could learn something. Um, I have, uh, I believe, to be pretty obviously a thinking disorder. I constantly think, try to think things out, try to figure things out, drive myself absolutely crazy over and over again, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm not here, be, I'm not here because I've, I totally turn my will and my life over the higher power all the time. You know, I'm not, uh, I have a long way to go, let's put it that way. And, but what I will say I will say one thing, that thinking stuff doesn't really work, for, doesn't really solve the problem. And the sooner I'm willing to, to stop the debating and the thinking and the trying to figure it out and, and let go, the sooner, the happier I am. I want to mention one thing currently first, and this is kind of an example of how I am in some ways. I'm very fear-based. A lot of fears, panic, a lot of stuff comes over me at times. And right now it's about my physical condition because I've had some stomach rectal problems for like four months. I've had some medical attention. I need to take another exam. Uh, when the time's right, I feel it's right. And uh, but you know, so I have discomfort, and I'm not. I don't like that. I don't like having that to deal with. And what's happened a lot of times is not only do I have the discomfort. But I have all the emotional craziness added on to it. The fear, I'm dying, I have cancer. Maybe I am. Um, um, you know, just obsessing about it in the night and all other times too. And, you know, so what I just did yesterday, I called my sponsor and I committed to calling them the next four days, you know, checking in. Because I realize I'm isolating with the craziness over this. And what this is, is kind of doing, it's kind of my own control, my own thinking and focusing and obsessing, and somehow that's going to help. I don't know. It's just a pattern. And that's kind of the way I've been all my life. You know, I will uh, always think. 
I'll figure it out. And the truth is that doesn't really work very well. Um, I've always, I've never disbelieved in a higher power. I think I just didn't believe that it was actually, there was one for me. You know, it worked for other people, but not for me. And I remember when I was traveling quite a bit in the hippie era or whatever, I, I went all over the country, maybe even Canada. I remember I somehow had a connection with 32 different religious groups. You know, maybe one visit to each of them. And none of them really did much for me. There was maybe one that I went to for a while. And what happened was with that, what I realized was when I was with, if I were to join a group or be associated with a group, I'd feel more isolated and disconnected than I did if I wasn't. Because I was so easily, I'm so isolated. And it wasn't until I came into Overeaters Anonymous and, well, my first meeting and then my second meeting was two years and three months later. But whenever after that, after that, uh, I came back the second time. Uh, it wasn't until then that when I was at the, maybe even the first meeting, I just wasn't ready. But when people would share, you know, I felt like it was kind of, I felt connected. You know, because I wasn't in this little fragmented groups, the way I looked at it, separated, insulated, isolated from the rest of the world, doing their own little crazy thing even though it's had some redeeming value. I was in here was I was in with a group of people from all different walks of life. You know, just coming in off the street, leaving, going somewhere else. I didn't have to I didn't have to believe in any uh religious dictates. Uh and what I experienced through through you people sharing was a connection to a higher power. I felt kind of like it was um your higher power talking to my higher power. And I would, it's still pretty true to this day, I always feel better after I go to a meeting. Especially then, you know, and I would just feel like uplifted. Uh, I felt energized. I, one thing was I was out of myself. I was out of the compulsive thinking and obsessing for at least an hour. Well, I would still do it during meetings, but not as much. <laughs> Have you ever experienced when you're totally crazy, whacked out, you get to a meeting, you sit there for a minute or two, and some sanity kind of settles in. And for me, that's kind of the, the higher power working. And so that that was really the, the biggest connection. You know, I've, I've still dabbled in little spiritual groups here or there throughout my OA career, uh, 17 plus years. But, you know, and there's some redeeming value, but nothing for me like uh, going to a meeting and you know, and having that connection, you know, having that spiritual connection. And uh, so that's, that's why I keep coming back. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I wanted to say that for me, it has never really been religion. You know, I've tried to join groups and it's like I, I can't you know, actually join one. It is. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the groups. I see religion as a, as a way of becoming spiritual, as a tool of spirituality, not an end in itself. And... Um, Just some examples. One thing that I look at as higher power for me is, so I don't really have a clear definition, you know. Well, I believe it's God, but I, I don't have a clear uh, thing. But I have a few things. One is intuition. You know, my intuition, when I follow my intuition, uh, 
I go where it feels right. That's my higher power working for me. And it always works. Always. And when I fight it, that's when I get into trouble. And I'll give you a little example. And this is somewhat true to this day. Uh, I don't like driving on freeways. I'm a very hypersensitive person. It's like it's taken me a long time to accept that. I'm still accepting it. Except that I don't like I don't like being with the intensity. I can't stand it. But I will sometimes do it when needed. But I don't like it. And I remember driving from I lived in Santa Cruz for a while. And I remember I drive up to San Francisco to baseball games all the time. And I would take this path that made no logical sense to me. You know, and my self critic was just still there. Said, Why don't you just go on a straight freeway? Why do you think and I you know, I'd go off and I would actually enjoy it. It didn't seem like it took any amount of time at all. I was like at peace and just doing it. And whenever, when I would kind of force myself to go on the freeway, whatever, there'd be traffic, I'd be slowed down, I'd get uptight, my anxiety would increase. And, you know, I would, this would be an ongoing process for me. You know, I would still. And uh, so that was kind of interesting. I remember, uh, I'm actually in the last day of a seven-day trip. And it's the same type thing. It's funny because I, I went from, uh, let's see, from Ventura to Turlock, I think. And I don't, I think I spent 15 miles on the freeway. But I, I enjoyed myself. But I'm kind of like still, there's still that thing. I just, what's going on? But, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's a lifelong, lifetime process. But I remember taking a trip in 2000 cross country and the motivating factor was to see my father, who I hadn't seen in uh, many years. I hadn't seen back east in 20-something years. I'm from back east. And I didn't, let me just tell you this. I wasn't willing to fly. I don't like to fly. I wasn't willing to take a train. I wasn't willing to take a bus. The only way I was willing to go was, was drive. But I didn't want to drive my car. Right? <laughs> Couldn't afford a rental car. Okay, so here... So it seems like it almost, the whole thing seemed impossible. I'm actually going to, my body's going to end up over there unless I walk. I didn't have that much time. I had three weeks off from work. <laughs> so here's, here's what I did. I had some little experience in the old days with these drive-away car systems. You drive them for companies. Right, okay. But it wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. See, I'm going from San Jose to New Jersey. There were no cars from San Jose to New Jersey. Let's see, where was the first one? first one was San Jose. There was one in Kansas City. Right. There's no guarantee that I'm going I'm to have to New Jersey. So I take the one to Kansas City. And, you know, I just go, you know, I trust the process. Um, and usually there aren't too many available from Kansas City to St. Louis. But it ended up that there was going to be one going to New Jersey from St. Louis. Which isn't that common. None in New York. Now, New York's huge, you know. There was one, there was like two to New Jersey. So that's where I was going. And, and rarely, I think, from St. Louis, from Kansas City to St. Louis, but there was one when I got there. Yeah. And then, so that one, and then I went to New Jersey. I ended up 20 miles from where my father was, right? And, and yeah, I'm just really touched by the whole thing because it was just a thing of faith. And then I bumped the car. I was in a, uh, parking lot of uh, some park and I dent the car a little bit and I called the company I'm afraid they're not going to let me uh, get out of there they're not going to let me drive 
but they were really, uh, I was honest about it. You know, I could have let it go. They were, they let me do it. Okay, I got a car from the Salt Lake City, Utah. And <laughs> then I rented a car the rest of the way, which I didn't know you can just drop off. Some, a lot of times you can't, but that way you could. But anyway, to make a long story short, uh, I was taken care of kind of miraculously, you know, and it was a tremendous trip. And, uh, you know, I made an amend. I was hoping for amends from my father. I never got it. But I made my amend and was at peace with that and, and really felt fulfilled and was really inspired by, by those cars being available to me, you know, when I needed them. And, and uh, the odds weren't good that I'd get one right to New Jersey. But, but that was just kind of, that's just kind of an example. It seems like whenever I trust and let go, then things happen. You know, things are taken care of. And I need to hear that too. Because I won't leave myself alone with this physical stuff. It's bad enough I'm feeling it and I'm driving myself absolutely crazy. <laughs> like it's going to help. So, uh, but those are the patterns. My patterns are still there. I have the same patterns. Just I have the same eating patterns. It's all the same. Now, one thing about doing the serenity prayer, the serenity prayer really helped me with my abstinence as far as what to choose to eat, whether it's at home or the restaurant. And I, I would just have like a serenity prayer mantra, you know, and that was one of the higher power connections I discovered uh, through the program. Another one that helped me uh, was writing like Asking God and writing for a solution to something that I didn't know what the answer was for me. And again, a lot of it was food related and still to this day. And the answer would come out in written form. And usually it's pretty right on. Um, I really didn't know what to eat in this restaurant. You know, I mean, totally. You know, I'm like really revving up. I've studied the entire menu six times. You know, I've... And... and I really, uh, you know, when I write it out, it just gets clear. You know, I learned that on an OA retreat one time. Anyway, uh, there's just little little things here and there. But the bottom line is that I, I don't have the answers. And uh, as much obsessing and thinking as I do doesn't resolve the situation. I need to accept, first of all, what I'm doing. That's one thing that keeps coming back to me. I keep fighting things. But I need to accept it and I need to turn over the results to my higher power, turn over my self-criticism to my higher power, which is very strong, which gets in the way of the connection. Um, it's okay to have resistance. Because I have a lot of resistance. I'm very fearful. But it's okay to have it. But at some point I need to let go of it and be open to the solutions that, that my higher power presents to me. Um, I've got to trust the process. One thing good about going to meetings is it really gets me out of my head. And, and that's really a good thing. Um, really is. I'm very self-willed person. I'm a very self-centered person. You know, I, I don't, it's not like, it's not like I'm sitting there all day in prayer and meditation and asking God to divinely inspire me. You know, it just doesn't happen. You know, I'm like, I don't know why, but for some reason I fight, especially the things that are good for me. Um, 
I have had a hard time. I'm one thing that keeps me in touch with God is nature, you know, and, and actually exercise too. I, it's even hard for me to say that word exercise. You know, it's like work. And I've I've done the twelve steps on exercise and still can exercise. You know, and these things are in God's time. I'm a hard person to live with, and I don't. I don't mean for my wife and daughter. I mean for myself. You know, I am very difficult. You know, thank you. I went through, after the physical stuff started, I had more of a willingness to exercise. And I I went in 35 days in a row, but who's counting? <laughs> then I had played a little basketball. I, would, I actually joined the YMCA. Like Jim's kind of a nasty word for me. But I'm there and... I've been practicing basketball and stuff like that because I get bored with weights. So I got a one-on-one game with this kid, teenager, I guess. And I pull a muscle in my leg, and that set me back. And I haven't been able to have the same amount of exercise as I've done before. And, you know, you should see me like I was willing to... I'm driving a lot lately. You know, I'm still going to drive today. And I'm like, getting up this morning, you know, I got up early because I know it gets warm. And I, and I took a walk, and, okay, I'm going to confess to you, it was six minutes long. <laughs> now, I know, I know you're not appalled with me, because I took a six-minute walk. I went up, it was cool, I did my, I was my footwork, I couldn't force myself to do anymore. That's what I did, six-minute walk. But I tell you, I'm really, like, I really went after myself. You're wasting your time. You're just doing six minutes. You know, it doesn't count unless you do 40 minutes or whatever. It's better than doing zero minutes. And I did walk up the stairs once and down a few times. So far. But uh, so that, that's a, a real ongoing obstacle. The self-hatred. The self-criticalness. And, and that's when I'm willing to let go of that, then I could let the higher power come in. Yeah, it's just sometimes it just takes time, and like it says in at least the old big book I have, page four forty nine, that acceptance stuff. It really does work. I need to accept where I am right now before before I can move forward with the power of my higher power. And until then, I'm just spinning my wheels. Uh, so it's it's not easy. It's not an easy process. Um, Anyway, I want to talk again more, a little bit more about the intuition stuff because I really think if I was to pick a word to describe the connection of my higher power, that would be it. I just want to spend a little more time on that. I don't know anything I'm going to say either. I had it all kind of scripted. But, um, I need to sit down, be quiet sometimes, which is hard. And, and kind of just ask for the solution. You know, I want to, I give you these examples. These are, maybe they're how not to examples. But, but I could learn from them. One was last night. Okay. I'm eating, one thing that's changed with the physical thing is I'm eating actually more healthier foods for me. And I'm learning about food combining and stuff to make it easier on my system. Thank you. Anyway, so it felt right for me to, I didn't feel right to eat at the hotel, so I 
was wanting to get some Chinese fruit, some vegetable and protein. So I go to the desk, right? I do the footwork. I ask, do you know anything? He prints out this thing, right? And, which was nice, you know. And I get in the car and I don't know where it is that he printed out. Okay. And I, I guess I wasn't willing to walk back in or deal with it again. Okay, so I'll just, I have an idea where it is. I'll drive down the street. I swear to you, it's hard for me to admit this to you, but you'll understand. I think I drove for 35 or 40 minutes <laughs> looking for the right Chinese restaurant. I know I didn't see that one because it had China in the name. None of them said China. <laughs> and I'm like, tired. I've driven all day. I'm just hoping I don't get in an accident with this rent-a-car commitment. Eventually, I get to a place. And they're all buffets, too, I think. I went back to the first one I saw, which was some buffet. Okay, go in there. I just know it's not good. I know. You could tell. It's like the American stuff. And one aisle was American, one was Chinese. And I'll finish up. Anyway, I did the best I could. I got the vegetables. I got a little. I, I could barely eat that chicken. It was so fat. You know, I ate a tiny bit. You know, I ate some raw carrots I had in the car after. And I got out of there okay. But the critic was up, you know. But I, I did the best best I could with that, you know, whatever. But uh, my intuition was right to ask the guy, you know. And then whatever else happened after that, I don't know. I got stubborn and self-willed. But then I need to let go of the self-hatred. Why did I do this to myself? I'm too tired. I'm going to be sick and all that stuff. And now I could go on with my life. I actually shared with an OA person last night at the meeting. At the main meeting. So anyway... Thanks a lot for being here. Hope you got something out of it. If not, I think I did. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Okay, this meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, all participants must sign the tape release form. Please sign up before your pitch. I don't know where that is, so. And this meeting ends at 9.45. I'm Dana. I'm a compulsive overeater from Santa Rosa. Hi, Dana. I just, a huge thank you. All of you. Just was, uh, I came in here really grouchy this morning, and after I've been here like two minutes, settled down and remembered why I was here. So thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to share my own. I, it's wonderful to hear other people who don't have a specific picture of. Well, I call God because I like to take the short, easy way, and that's the shortest word for it. Um, one syllable versus HP, which is two. <laughs> um, but my experience, I had 19 years of abstinence and experience in the program, and my experience of that is that I spent those years proving that the God that I believed in all my life, really, from my earliest days, I knew there was a loving, that I had a loving, caring God who was taking care of me, but I really didn't think that covered things like eating and driving and all the things where I, my self will jumps in. So from the very first 
time I came into program, it's been a testing process. My first one was whether I'd stop getting mad along the highway. It actually, absence was in there, but the, the, the really first test of God was to take away my conversation with every other driver, which was never friendly. <laughs> <on my side. laughs> and I was, I'm, I was in Palo Alto at the time, and I sat waiting for the train to go by one day, and I realized that I was not fuming because that train had had the gall to cross when I was waiting at the cross section. And that was really my, my first <clears throat> sort of spiritual awakening that there was something that could change me and change my life. And it continues. Um, I, had a, I, I had everybody's desire come true. I was diagnosed with a low thyroid and got to take meds for that. Well, they don't do what we always hoped they would do. And I gained size. I didn't gain weight particularly, but I gained size. And I had to, came home from a meeting one night who somebody said, you need to write. That's what they do. They have a conversation with God. So I went home and I got a piece of paper and I sat down and said, how do I eat healthfully? What do you want me to do? What is going to be in line with your will for me so I can do? My, my goal also is to do my best, to do my purpose here according to God's will. And man, that pencil wrote. <laughs> and I got to the bottom of the line at the how you're going to eat. These are things you no longer eat. And I just said, you've got to be kidding. You know, you just got to be kidding. And my line is, you want me to do it, you take care of it. And over and over and over, that's proof to me that there is a higher power. There is something greater than I am who really cares, who wants me to be healthy and sane. And one day at a time, I can't. It's been like since January, I've been eating the way I wrote down on that. And the the really only reason I eat that way is because my crazy mind at the end of the day, if I don't eat that way, says, oh my God, you must have been on a binge because you're not a size four. And I, ha- I cannot beat that craziness. That's cunning, baffling, and powerful to me. But my higher power can by having me eat in a way that is absolutely sane. So I, I'm just, the important thing to me is that there is constant evidence, and that's what I heard today, is that we all have constant evidence of the existence of a, I love it, a bird's benevolence, whatever the other word was. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm Nora. I am a compulsive reader, covered bulimic from Livermore. Hi, Originally from the Midwest. Um, it's so great. Uh, I, I loved all the speakers. Thank you very much. And you know, about your little experiences and your connections with your higher power of God. Um, and I guess my story is like when I was a child, I, I had a very punishing guy. I didn't grow up in a spiritual home or a religious home. And, and then when I got into the program, of course, they at that time said the Lord's Prayer. And then I'm like, what the hell's that? And um, luckily they, it was in a church basement and they had the whole thing out for the little kids to know so I could follow along with the words and stuff like that until I got it. And, and um, you know, I'm I'm kind of glad now that, you know, a lot of times they just say the, the um, you know, I put my hand in yours or the unity prayer because I think that's more inclusive. But uh, I just wanted to share with you, you know, uh, we've moved to California like uh, February two years ago, and it's been really life-changing for me. Uh, a lot of the spirituality has really blossomed like um for a while there I, I decided I would become the religion my husband is and 
and that was all fine and dandy until I started to question some more, and it, it never really filled that God hole in me completely, you know. It, it didn't answer a lot of my questions, and um, and so I went about, you know, um, I guess my spirituality base is like this program, you know. You come in, and you have the fellowship and such like that, to, and the God connections are through people for me. And, and through intuition and dreaming and different little life events. If I look for it, I can find it every day. If I'm oblivious to it, it's just because I've shut my eyes to it. Um, and this year I thought, oh, I'm going back to grad school, so I'll apply. And, you know, I did all that stuff, and I even um, got an interview. And I wasn't sure how the interview went. I, I didn't feel 100%. And then... Of all things, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> and it wasn't planned, and it wasn't um, prevented, let's say that. And of all things, then I got turned down for grad school. And I thought that would devastate me, but it really didn't. You know, in a way, I could see that my higher power says, he can't handle pregnancy and grad school. And then the more I read about it, and if I'm forgetful and kind of spacey, I, I say it's my hormones. Um, you know, there was a study about women in their eighth month only retain 20% of the new information they get. And I said, well, then I would be just dumping my money down the drain, right? So so anyway, um, I, I'm just really grateful for this program because, you know, I was didn't plan on becoming uh, a parent, but uh, my my husband and I are truly blessed. And, uh, and, my, and of course, I'm sorry, my um my friend says, you know, ever since you learned you were pregnant, you don't come in here in our meetings and weep anymore. You just seem so calm and stuff. I said, well, it must be the hormones again, and it must be HP. So thank you very much. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex, compulsive overeater. Hi, Alex. And um, thank you, Tom, for your story. Um, I didn't hear the other ones, but I got a lot out of what you shared. And um, I was inspired to share a story about a trip also. Um, my grandmother is 91, and I haven't seen her since I was about eight. Um, and I really wanted to see her before she passed away because I lost all my other grandparents without being able to say goodbye. And um, so I decided to plan a trip and um, did it all online. So it was completely by faith. Like, I had no idea really where I was going um, or if the places even existed, you know, or, or if they would just take my money and then I would get there. And Anyway, so I just said, you know, I'm just going to do what I can do and I'm just going to trust that it'll work out. Um, <clears throat> and I've been really struggling with my faith lately um, because of some things that happened in my life. So I went in the midst of this, like, I don't believe in God. It was really kind of crazy. Um, but what happened was I flew into London and then I flew up to Scotland. And what I didn't figure was the time, the time up there and the fact that it's dark by about 4 o'clock in the winter. So we're getting on the plane in, um, where do we fly from? Um, kind of like middle of Scotland to fly up to the north of Scotland. And, um, and, I, and there's, you know, a line of people, and I'm standing there all just ready to go. I'm so excited, and, you know, I'm going to see my grandma. And um, 
And this lady comes and cuts in line. And she cut, let's see, where did she cut? She cut right in front of the people who were kind of like right next to me, you know. And they were all bent out of shape about it and, you know, they were all mad and she should go to the back of the line and, you know, they have their whole little etiquette over there and it was just so rude, you know. And I'm like, who cares? We're all getting on the same plane and we're all going to the same place, you know. So I really didn't care and I was on vacation so I wasn't going to let it bother me. And um, so what ended up happening was out of this, a conversation started because I said something to them and then they said back. And it turned out that these two people who cut in line right in front of me had um, built or been architect. The man was an architect, and he had worked on my grandparents' house. <laughs> yeah, and the lady who was all bent out of shape about it was like the lady who sells muscles, so everybody knows her. And they both knew my grandmother, who's in a nursing home, and actually thought she had passed away. Because you know how people go into nursing homes and almost like vanish. It was kind of sad. That part was sad to me. Um, okay. And I'll just wrap it up real quick. So what happened was um, we got on the plane. We ended up talking. And I'm studying to be a teacher. The lady was a teacher. So we talked about teaching all the way up there. And they, like, told me everything, you know, all the stuff I wouldn't have known what we were flying over. And we get up there, and, I'm, and I go to rent a car. And I was planning on driving the 100 miles to north of the airport because she's almost at the tip of Scotland. And, um, and they say there are no rental cars. I'm like, oh, okay. And that was one thing I didn't plan in advance. So then the man goes up and in his little Scottish way gets me a rental car, right? Because he's Scottish, so they're going to give him the rental car. <laughs> and I'm obviously not, you know, even though I am, I don't sound it anymore. So then uh, get out to the car and the ice has frozen the brake on the car. And it's dark by now, too. And these people are still with me. They're like, they're going to make sure that I get up there safely. So the man, again, knows how to break the, break the ice off the car, off the brake. And, um, and I'm driving. I have to drive on the wrong side of the road and do the whole turnabout, roundabout thing. And it's dark. And it's cold. And, you know. And so I just, oh, don't worry about it. My wife, you know, the wife, the wife says, oh, I'll just ride with you and we'll follow my husband. I mean, it was like, I literally felt like God sent me angels, and they delivered me right to the place where I was staying. So in the midst of this crisis of faith, I got these amazing, amazing things happen, and it just, you know, it just let me know that God is there, even when we don't feel like it. So thank you. It is now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers again. Um, please stand where you are, and after a moment of silence, join me in the serenity prayer again. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I mean that it worked. <laughs>